Welcome to the Intentionist Podcast, where we explore the interplay between intuition, spiritual health, and everything in between. I'm your host, Amy Schreiber. And I'm Hilary Zwallen. Our intention is to create a dialogue that inspires you to consciously forge your path with curiosity and compassion for life and its mysteries. fellow intentionists and this week we are talking about the eight of swords and aries which tends to have a big theme of freedom so freedom is kind of our our theme of the day and um yeah amy how you doing good how are you hillary you've been sick you sound a lot better though oh my gosh i've had this flu i don't know it was like a 13 day, 14 day flu. Today is literally the first day that I think I could have done this because (laughs) I've been coughing and anyway, what a mess. Um, how have you been? Good. It's been good. We have this month, like every relative I have coming into town at different times, one after another, my mom just left stepson's arriving tomorrow. So it'll be an exciting month. Great. Yeah. So today we're, before we get into our topic, we just wanted to remind our listeners that we do have a newsletter that we do send out occasionally, hopefully about once a month. So if you are (laughs) interested in catching up on what we have going on, please go to our website, put in your email, and we promise we will not spam you. We've been doing a, a lot of series this month on, or this year where we've been covering a lot of astrology. So for those of you who are new to astrology, who are interested in understanding your chart and how it applies, we've got a lot of of that forecasted for this year. We are we are going to be doing topics other than astrology as well coming up. Yes. <laughs> we've been on a big astrology binge. This is our astrology kick, but yeah, there yeah. will be much more. And also along with our newsletter, if you are a member of our list, you automatically become uh, entered in our little gratitude giveaway that we've been doing every month. So yes, another little uh... incentive. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Hillary. <laughs> it's late, you guys. It's it late. Is. Okay, so Amy, why don't you talk to us about the Eight of Swords? And again, for people just joining us, we did a tarot read at the beginning of the year that was designed to influence us creatively in terms of our our content calendar, but it was also designed as a collective read for our listeners. And so we just are using these archetypal, uh, this archetypal energy from tarot to inform kind of what we're dealing with collectively. And, and then we're going to talk about the sign of Aries and what it means to be in this collective month. Yes. Thank you for the overview, Hillary. You're welcome. The Eight of Swords. So for those not familiar with tarot, swords, swords are the air element, which has to do with the mind and mastery of the mind. So in the Rider Waite deck, this the image on this Eight of Swords card is a woman blindfolded, and it symbolizes this restriction and isolation. And, and the fact that she's blindfolded, it signifies this lack of perspective. So across the board, no matter what deck you're looking at, I think I, I looked at a, a few different ones, and across the board, it has this theme of 
a lack of perspective and this imprisonment. Like she's enclosed by all these swords that are kind of surrounding her in a circle. And in my favorite deck, the Prisma Visions deck, the author talks about this being a self-imposed imprisonment. So this isn't like someone coming in and Holding you hostage, yes. Right. This is you due to your own ignorance and lack of vision, holding yourself hostage in some way. It's the act of kind of looking down in despair versus looking up and around to get the wider perspective that would free you of your imprisonment. In the Llewellyn's Complete Book of Tarot by Anthony Lewis, he says that this is the analysis paralysis card. So this is like Mm -hmm. you're trapped in this weird circular thought process and you can't get out of it. You know, it's you are you've analyzed something to death. And in the in the Thoth tarot, this card is called interference, which kind of like you could interpret that as it's this is an external thing coming in. But the main thing I'm taking away from from that is that you're basically just going nowhere <laughs> with this card. So I also think when you talk about external forces, right, and you think uh-huh. about, I mean, we're we're constantly being bombarded by external forces in our whole in our lives, right? We have right. we have the weather, we have relationships, we have business things. Um, so we're constantly being influenced by uh, other forces, and we still continue to. So, so we can feel imprisoned, but it's usually because it's in our mind, you know, I mean, unless we're, you know, there's literally a form of abuse happening, which, which does happen. But for the, for the most part, if we're living in a free society and we're in, you know, relationships that are relatively healthy, that's not the case. And so it usually has to do with a mental state and where we're at mentally and emotionally and how we are viewing the situation. Right. That is a great point. Thank you for clarifying that. That is absolutely what this card is about, is the that you are not approaching something in the way that you could be that would guarantee your freedom versus your imprisonment. I also loved in the Wild Unknown tarot deck, she says that this card is about your perceptions keeping you from opening your wings and taking flight. So it is, yeah, like you said, like it could be like all these external circumstances, but also the way that you look at those external circumstances makes a huge difference. Like I was thinking so many people have spoken so beautifully about freedom and what it is. And I especially was thinking about how Viktor Frankl talks about it. Have you read the book Man's Search for Meaning? Yes, yes. In that, so he's a he was a doctor and he was in a concentration camp during World War II. And he's, and he talks about how like in these horrific situations, everything can be taken from someone, but the very last of the human freedoms is to choose your attitude in any given set of circumstances, Mm -hmm. like to choose one's own way. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, freedom is, is something you, you can choose. I also loved James Baldwin. He says, freedom is not something that anybody can be given. Freedom is something that people take and people are as free as they want to be. And I think that's kind of a hard concept to hear sometimes because 
it's easier to think of ourselves as victims because as long as you think that there's nothing you can do about it, you don't have to exert the effort of taking responsibility and changing things, you know? But I think if you're using it in the term, the way that Viktor Frankl's talking about, because he was literally imprisoned, right? I mean, he was imprisoned in a concentration camp, you know, headed for death. And Mm -hmm. so in that way, it really is, I mean, when you break it down to the to even the most dire circumstances that we still have a choice, even though, I mean, you know, I think most of us aren't living in those circumstances. And so when we really, when we pop it up to where we're living and in, in our own suffering and wherever we are, it's, it's still, it definitely comes down to, you know, are we being imprisoned by, by our mind and by the, the thoughts that are, you know, running us? Right. I mean, it's usually, it's by these, our own patterns that are, you know, not conscious until we put in the effort to look at them. The other thing that James Baldwin says about freedom is that it's simpler to be asleep sometimes and simpler to be apathetic and to not want to be free in like the mental sense and to think that something else is more important. Like it's so easy to be distracted Not only Mm. by just like busyness in general, but by Mm. like our own programming, like in our minds to address those things takes real, real mental disruptive effort. And so I think that so often other things take importance over that. And this is like a topic that I feel I'm like feeling a little bit triggered right now thinking about this based on like, because I've been thinking, so you and I, we were both raised in the Mormon church. And this is a very complete system of thought, a a complete mental framework that was given to us at birth and we were raised with. Yeah. And then five years ago we go and we like the framework breaks down for us Mm -hmm. and we are tasked with picking up the pieces and, and really looking at it and really trying like, freedom is like, is a really good word to describe like the mental attempt in my mind. Like I felt like at that time I was just searching and trying to find way, new ways of thinking that would just like help my mind to grow because I found that certain ways of thinking were not helping me and were actually damaging me. And so like when we come up against things like that, it's still it's still easier to continue that way, (laughs) you know, like to continue in the system that you are used to. But yeah, like what freedom really is like, like true mental freedom is, it can be scary because what it is, is it's not charted, you know, it's not given to you by someone else. And it's it's kind and it's almost like it's not founded in a lineage, right? There's this, there's this interesting balance. uh I mean, you know, I've talked about lineage multiple times on different episodes and, you know, the yogis and the Eastern thought and the shaman are very big on lineage, you know, who is your teacher, right? Mm -hmm. That's held, you know, in that way in the Christian and, um, well, I'll just say in the Christian lineage, it's like. I mean, at least in Mormonism, it's like the priesthood and mm-hmm. here's the fr- the gospel. And maybe in Christianity, it's the same. There's this, there's something about, you know, the pastor and all that. I, I don't know completely because I haven't spent too much time with, uh, within evangelical churches, but, um, or other Christian churches. So, you know, there really, there really is that idea of 
when your lineage is kind of stripped from you by choice, mm-hmm. you're like, then what? And you want to just jump back into a lineage because it's like, well, I, I want to just get into a track that makes sense. And sometimes I think that works. Like sometimes it works to find your tribe. And then sometimes you, it almost feels like you have to go it alone for a while and decide what is it that I really, what does it mean to be free? Really? You know, <laughs> and what does that really look like? And what is the cost? Well, too, also like when you have options, <laughs> like when you have so many options, this is where like the analysis paralysis can come in. If if everything's on the table, suddenly it's like, oh, how do you choose? I mean, yeah. it's like you go to a grocery store and there's literally 5,000 brands of toothpaste. You're like, what do I do now? Why? Why? Why have they done this to me? <laughs> like, So there is that like, it, it's just effort, you know, like it's just mm-hmm. effort. And the other person that I found that talked about freedom so wonderfully was D.T. Suzuki. And he describes freedom as giving free play to all the creative and benevolent impulses inherently lying in our hearts. And he says, generally, we are blind to this fact that we are in possession of all the necessary faculties that will make us happy and loving towards one another. And all the struggles we see around us come from this ignorance. But when the cloud of ignorance disappears, we see for the first time into the nature of our own being. Mm. So the freedom is prevented by ignorance and enjoyed when we can understand that all of the goodness that we're seeking after is just already there. It's just already there. And we just have to like, let it, (laughs) let it fly, you know, let it bubble up. Yeah. I mean, easier said than done. right? Right. But I mean, but maybe not, you know, it is, it is just how you're looking at something. It's a state of mind. So it's like some states of mind are suffering and imprisonment and some are freedom. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking a lot about all the suffering that has been caused in my life and in other people's lives. Like when I try or when I see other people try to control other people, it's like we're imprisoned in this mistaken belief that other people are really in charge of our happiness. They have to do this thing. Otherwise, we can't be happy. You know, that's trying to control someone and it doesn't make sense. Hmm. That's a form of enslavement. I think that people experience in relationships, whether it's a parent child or a spouse relationship, like whatever. Absolutely. That's a way that we give our power and our liberty really over to another person, which solves nothing. Yeah. The other thought on freedom or, or like mental enslavement, like we talked about at the beginning of the episode, I've been so freaking sick the last couple of weeks. I went to Mexico with my brother and, you know, cousins and had this like couples trip that was super fun. And on day two, I started coming down with like the chills and the sweats and the fever and mm. a cough. And, and it was actually a relief because I didn't have kids with me. So I was like, oh, I can just take care of myself when I'm sick. This is a miracle. But then I had to fly home and by the time I got home, I was so sick, I couldn't get out of bed for like five days. And so I noticed how unanxious my mind was because I was just so tired. I couldn't even get on my phone. And it was interesting because I just, and my kids were not feeling too good either. So we were all just kind of laying around and snuggling and they're, they're at the age where they like, don't really do that as much anymore. They're getting bigger. So mm-hmm. it was really a cherished, it was a weirdly cherished time where we could just I could just turn on a movie. We could just lay there and watch it. And I realized 
when I got back on social media a couple of days ago, how jarring it was. Like, I was just like, ah, this is such (laughs) crap. Like, what am I doing? And I realized like, you know, because I'd had a break from it and because I had, I'd, I'd read, I read a book. I was like in the 1300s or the 1200s for like five days in this (laughs) novel, (laughs) which, you know, I'm kind of over the middle ages now, but, but in the time I was like, it was kind of a, just a full escape. And I don't really read novels that often. I'm always doing like research for the podcast or, you know, reading other stuff for business or whatever. So I just, I noticed how my mind and my emotions and just how non-triggered I was by being in that state. And I thought, you know, I really do cause a lot of my own suffering. And it was, it was definitely an awareness. And as we were talking about, as we'll get into Aries, we can talk a little bit about Mm -hmm. that too, but it made a lot of sense that we're talking about freedom versus, you know, suffering and, and then we'll, we'll get into Aries. So anyway, I know you have a few more notes here on, on this card. So I don't want to. Yeah, no, I mean, just so eight, so it's the swords, we talk about the swords, but eight as a number itself, it's about change and renewal and stability. The main contemplation here to consider is what is keeping us trapped? Like what problems are we creating for ourselves because of our lack of perspective? And the eight part of it invites us to change this thing to create stability. Because eight, like as the infinity symbol, right, is this very stable form. And when we are imprisoned, we're obviously out of balance and not in this free-flowing state of flow, really, and peace. So I also think that that mental imprisonment happens like right before you're ready to shed whatever it is that's bubbling up, right? Like we're always in these constant states of evolution and we're always moving around the wheel, right? Like in shamanism, they talk about the medicine wheel. In astrology, you have the, you know, you have the the wheel with the zodiac wheel. So right before we come to this stage of of where we're we're all the way through in the evolution. And we we learned last month, right, when we did the Pisces that the twelfth house is is merging. It's like the oneness that's merging with God. It's the it's it's the ultimate spirituality. And so so there's always that point like right before where our former beliefs are going to hold on for dear life, right? It's mm-hmm. it's that final pain. You know, we think we talk about if we're gonna reference um if we're gonna reference our Christian upbringing, right? It's it's Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? It's it's being on the cross right before the resurrection, right? It's right before you die. Mm-hmm. You're right before you're reborn. There has to be a death and death can be painful, right? Um, so so I think about those ideas where when our minds are trapped, when we feel trapped, it's, it's, it's usually when I look back on my life or my own beliefs, it's I always have these, these moments of extreme darkness, like right before a breakthrough, it really is the darkest before the dawn to be, to add in some cliches. Yeah. Well, yeah, we did that whole episode on the dark night of the soul concept all about that. And I think that the the reason it feels so dark at those times, like like we're all walking around in various degrees of ignorance and imprisonment, right? But when you're not aware of it, it's not bothersome. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just when you start becoming aware of it and therefore able to change it that's when it will like fight for your life because that's what its job is it's trying to like mm-hmm. maintain the status quo in your brain and that's like the op that's to to have growth we cannot allow that mm-hmm. yes 
Okay. So before we get into Aries, let's just take a quick minute to introduce ourselves for those of you who are just joining us for the first time. I'm Hillary Zwallen. Uh, I'm a entrepreneur slash former entrepreneur and currently uh, a shaman. <laughs> Today I'm a shaman. Um, I just finished a shamanic practitioner training last year and I've been doing more and more uh, group energy healing, se- you know, sessions and spending a lot of my time here with the Intentionist podcast. I'm really looking to use this platform as a way to elevate the collective consciousness and help to tear down patriarchal belief systems and help to provide information for people who may be in inquiry and suffering and pain. And, uh, you know, by day I, I also have, I have two kids two I'm a mom, I'm married, live in central California, and I'm working on some really big projects that I'm excited about that have to do with hopefully changing the face of soil on the planet. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. I mean, guys, so every, every week it's a little different, but I feel like I spend a lot of time working right now. This is a lot of putting drops in the bucket and I'm hoping that we'll come out with something exciting in a few months to a year. So we'll see. See what happens. Very exciting. If you want to, if you want to reach out, I do. I do have a few private clients that I work with. I don't take too many people. If you are a budding entrepreneur, I did sell a company a couple of years ago. I do love to work with female entrepreneurs uh, in coaching, and I my unique approach is that I have built and sold a business that was re- that was fairly large, and I like to take an energetic approach and focus on on how we can integrate spirituality and earth-based practices into what it is that we do as women in the workforce. So Beautiful, that is my, Hillary. thank you. That was longer than 30 seconds. That's okay. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so I am Amy Schreiber and I am an artist, writer, yoga teacher, a content marketer by day, and I have an eight-year-old son. I'm married and I live in Olympia, Washington. We've spent the, we just moved back up here and we spent the last year and a half living in Mexico and then Spain. So I am also a Spanish student trying to be, trying not to lose my Spanish. And my goal with all of the work that I do is I am trying to inspire people into wonder. And I think that that place of wonder is where <laughs> all the magic happens and, and where like everything is possible. So that's so I really like to explore that in my artwork, as well as mythological themes and uh, global cultures. So anyway, if People are interested. I have a website, namasteme.com. So if you want to meet, reach, first of all, Amy's a great artist and she's also a great web designer. If you want to reach out to either of us, just email us at intentionists with an S at gmail.com. Yes. Tell us about Aries. Okay. So I did a lot of research on Aries. And so Aries means ram in Latin. So when you look at the little icon for Aries, it looks like, it looks like a little ram. It's a fire element which is Yang, and it's ruled by the planet Mars. And its natural home is in the first house. And so, which is also ruled by Mars, it's represented, and it represents the desire to separate. 
And it's energy moving out from the center and kind of represents our original anxiety of separation from the womb. So Hmm. Aries and the first house is the beginning of the astrological cycle. And so that is why it's like our origination, right? So we are born and now we are moving away from the womb space. We are setting out on our hero's journey, right? This is our, our birth, our, our beginning. And the first house correlates to the phenomenon of becoming. So Aries requires freedom. And like, we've been talking about freedom so much. So I love that we pulled that card and it happens to be Uh the Aries, uh, one of the biggest themes of if you're born under the sign of Aries, if your sun signs in Aries, um, but freedom to act upon the core desires and it tolerates like no restrictions. So it's instinctive and it's, and it's forward moving. And so if you are looking at your birth chart, if you go to, you know, we always tell everyone to go to cafe astrology and you can print off a, a free birth chart to see what, where your planets are. And you can look and see, you know, what, planets do you have in the sign of Aries if you're not an Aries sun sign? So if it's your sun sign, it would be the month you were born. You can see if you're an Aries rising um, and or if you have a, a moon in Aries or where any other planets are in Aries. And then you can kind of think about what is it that those, you know, what is it that those planets are, how are they interacting with this concept of becoming and freedom? Do you have Aries in your chart, Hillary? I have no Aries in my chart. I have a Jupiter, Aries, oh, Jupiter. Hey, have to go. look up what that means. Yeah. I have tons of fire. Aries is a fire sign, mm-hmm. but it's all Sag- Sagittarius and Leo. I have a mm-hmm. lot of Leo and Sag, but I don't have any Aries. I think maybe I have one, like an asteroid or something in Aries, but I don't know. Um, <clears throat> so Pluto, if Pluto's in Aries, and we, I got a lot of this information from uh, the Evolutionary Astrology Glossary. So if you didn't have a chance to listen to Tashi Powers last week in our Evolutionary Astrology, she is an amazing teacher of Evolutionary Astrology. She has a lot of, of really great stuff online and at the Rama Institute. And she's just, she had a lot to say. And Evolutionary Astrology focuses a lot on Pluto and where your Pluto was born or where your Pluto was when you were born. So if your Pluto's in Aries, it's the beginning of a new evolutionary cycle and you would have a feeling of kind of a special destiny. So these people require freedom and independence to really explore the new and the relatively undefined new cycle. So sometimes Aries can seem a little self-centered. I think this can be the case for a lot of fire signs. You know, I know with Leo, (laughs) And, and Sagittarius, it's, you know, it's kind of like, look at me, I'm, I'm passionate. I'm here to develop that part of myself. I incarnated to develop that part. So it can sometimes appear self-centered, but they, they have to be free to act on any impulse that comes to them because it's through experience that Aries knows who they are. That's how they become to know who they are is by through experience. So they're always out trying to experience the, the, the world in as many ways as possible. So mm-hmm. they have, their call is to need, it's the need to learn to balance their need for freedom with their need for relationship. So mm-hmm. there is a sense of belonging and, and a desire for belonging, but there's a lot of that tension from being like, I want to be wild and free, but then I also have to sacrifice some things to be in a relationship and to be known. Right. Yeah. Well, and often they talk about they, they, as in the <laughs> authorities, the uh, omniscient authorities uh, yes. online. Yes. yes. <laughs> the omniscient online authorities say <laughs> that like in a relationship, like in a love relationship, especially the quality of 
freedom is such an important one to cultivate, like, because you cannot live in a happy relationship if you feel coerced or trapped in any way. And so like this whole, this is very Aries to, uh, to really understand and bring the freedom part into the relationship, like find out how those two things work together because they're actually like very necessary to right to, to actually have a healthy yes like those are healthy that's a healthy balance to strike and i in fact i just listened to a youtube ted talk uh from esther perel or esther perel esther perel i think mm-hmm. and she was talking about she's the one that wrote the book meeting in captivity and she was talking about desire and mm-hmm just this idea of like erotic desire and how to keep the spark alive kind of in the marriage. And she talked a lot about how a lot of people need their spouse to go away so they can kind of imagine what it will be like to be together again and kind of miss them. And I totally get that. I mean, I think that makes sense. As much as I love to be together with my husband, like I love having him around, there is, it's something nice about like, go do your thing. Like, you know, there's some, there's some value in being like truly independent, right? Yeah. It's not that like relationship equals captivity and individualism (laughs) equals freedom. It's like you have to find where relationship can equal freedom. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Yeah. So Aries tend to be intense individualists. They're strong-willed, magnetic, sometimes a little bit bullheaded and courageous. And they, they have a lot of leadership qualities. So Um, sometimes they can be difficult to know deeply because they're such individualists and because they're kind of mission bound and uh, they're all about like becoming and, you know, the beginning of the phase and, you know, so they can feel, you know, distant, I guess. A little bit about the Aries archetype. So Aries is the sign that is the most aware of itself. And this awareness is very concentrated and the increased awareness of itself means it's largely unaware of much else other than itself. And by the way, I'm quoting from the evolutionary astrology glossary right here. So this might normally be pretty depressing, except Aries core um, innocence protects it from that. And it's because, it, and when they say the core innocence, it's, it's the first sign, it's the beginning. So you're just starting out. Baby. So there's, yeah, it's your newborn. Yeah. It's the spring, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, Instead, it's happy to be what it is, as any innocent self is naturally happy within itself. It's built in. Aries' increased sense of self makes sure its anxiety is carried wherever Aries goes. So this leads Aries onto its search, the driving need to explore and discover more and more about itself. And with the attendant needs of absolute freedom, self-focus, no limitations or interference from others whatsoever, and and absolutely no demands from anyone else, that is how they maximize their chance of succeeding in their quest. <clears throat> yes. So moving on to a l- little bit of aspects of Mars. So to talk a little bit about Mars, because Mars is the planet that rules Aries in the first mm-hmm. house. So you want to look at how Aries moves, moves in conjunction with all the other signs in the uh, Zodiac. So they talk, they've referenced the Cardinal Cross. So generally the challenge to Aries is to face its separation square on. So it's kind of an either or situation, like work with society or not. That's kind of a Capricornian mixture of Aries or open to nurturing or not. That's Cancer. It's Aries working with Cancer. Connecting with others or not. That's Libra. So they go on, they continue to go on to talk about Aries discovering ways of exploring the tension between freedom and settling down through these different signs of the Zodiac. And upon completion, 
as we talked before about these cycles, one would start another cycle, but this time they would be on a more elevated level. So, and on and on we go the wheel with the wheel of life and death perpetuated by separating desires. And that's kind of how we can work through our birth chart and to mm-hmm. see why are we here and how do we use these archetypes to um, help us to look at what is wanting to be known on a soul level. I like that. That's interesting. Especially with Aries being the very first, I think it's a good time to like remind everyone and remember that like every characteristic, every archetype of like the Zodiac has its positive things and its shadow side, which is, it's really not bad versus good. It's like, this is the whole picture of something. It's the polarity, right? The polarity points. That's how Tasha talked about that a lot, the polarity points. Right. So like this duality is just a fact in the world that we live in, right? And it's just, and it's not bad or good. It's just like what makes something challenging versus what makes it smooth. Like these things can be used depending on the situation. It can be a very good thing that, that this person is completely absorbed inside themselves, you know, at certain times, but like, see, this is, this part is like blowing my mind. This concept that you're talking about, this is what I've really enjoyed about digging into evolutionary astrology is that it's very philosophical and it's not, there's not a lot of like moralistic, you know, judgments, judgments Uh about it. It's like for the first time, you know, she was, Tashi was telling me I have a Leo, a, a lot of Leo in my chart and I'm a Leo rising. And so she's like, you're basically here to cultivate like your divaness and to be out there in the world and to work on that and to use it, you know, to, to use it as a way to serve. And it just was blowing my mind because I've always thought, well, that's like one of those things that I feel inclined to do, but I'm kind of embarrassed about, or I feel bad that I'm doing that. It's like what you've been trying to fight against because you feel like it's not, it's not like helping, but. No, or that it just, it isn't like in line with kind of the puritanical like sacrifice and be like quiet and like submit and like listen to your authority and like divert, divert, divert your power Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. everyone else. And so I just, it was interesting to hear, this is what I've really enjoyed about diving into this evolutionary astrology concepts is that, you know, you start to look at things very objectively, like, well, Mm -hmm. it really just depends. And this idea of like, a one size fits all is just, it's, that's out the window. Now, this idea that there's like one path and this is how you do it. Gone. That's gone. Well, and the (laughs) fact that you have this tendency, like you have, you have this tendency and desire to be seen. And that's like, that just is there. And I was just reading this book, um, called the power of imagination and he was talking about he it's basically like a psychoanalysis of the bible but he's talking about how like god speaks to us through our desires like whatever we desire most like that's that's all god is (laughs) basically like i'm probably not explaining that right but like no that makes sense i mean that's a lot of like when people talk about what's my soul's journey like what's mm-hmm. what is my purpose it's like well what do you what do you feel inclined right to it's be like your what's, purpose? it's already there it's like all there i mean it, it goes along yeah. with the suzuki stuff like like all these things like you're already inclined to live a full and happy life full of love like that's what your self is trying to do. But, but we fight against ourselves when it doesn't go along with like what we think it should be or what other people or we are have, saying, you know, trauma that, and we're not, uh-huh. we don't, we don't have the tools to shed the density that the trauma, mm-hmm. you know, 
causes in our energy fields and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, it's, it's just the, the idea. I mean, you can logically say, you know, one size doesn't fit all and you know, there's many different paths to God, but I find that that is something that I have to continue, continually learn over and over again and on, on my own path. And, and I think that what's interesting about looking at natal charts is everybody's, you can look at the chart and it's like, everyone has their own little code (laughs) that can kind of help them to give them some guidance. So I want to talk really quickly about Mars and anger because Mars was the God of war. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there can be some anger associated with this sign. And when you're having a Mars transit or if Mars is coming up in, like if Mars is, if you're an, if you're an Aries sun sign and Mars is in Aries, you may feel something bubbling, or if Mars is in whatever your sun sign is, this is how you can kind of look into your transits. So anger can be used to initiate the new cycle of becoming. This is in regards to Aries that correlates with Mars instead of creating situations of personal denigration. So a Mars transit can be a way to grow past whatever personal limitation is creating a block towards putting into motion a new evolutionary cycle. So I feel like that's a little bit gibberishy. But what I mean by that is we can use anger to fuel the change rather than just like we feel, you know, sometimes things are going on in the universe, right? And we're like, what's, what is this? Is it, is it just me? Am I just choosing to fight with my spouse or am I fighting with my, with my friend or who, whatever it is, or I'm mm. mad at the the guy at the gas station, or I'm mad at the lady at the checkout or whatever, you know, we all have those days where we're like, why was I so pissed about that? Mm-hmm. Um, so we can use the anger as a, as an indicator, Yeah, uh, you know, uh, rather than just blowing up another person or blaming other people for our circumstances, we can use it as a way to go, okay, I'm going to use that energy that came with the anger to look a look at what's underneath it, peel it back. But then also you can use it as a, as a way of, of that's, a, there's a lot of energy under anger. Right. Anger right? is a gift. Yeah. Anger right. is a powerful emotion that tells you something is off right here. And what is it? What can I do about it? And it is, yeah, you're exactly a hundred percent. And especially if you're a fire sign, right? Because fire signs, like I always think, you know, I have a lot of fire in my sign. I'm also a redhead, you know, and I kind of live up to the stereotype of like the fiery redhead sometimes. And so for me, I've always thought I'm kind of quick to, I'm quick to go straight to emotion sometimes. And I've often found myself apologizing for that in my life. And sometimes it's merited. Like I shouldn't freaking get mad about stuff so easily. But other times I think, you know, this is a gift to your point. And maybe I shouldn't apologize. There are some times where I'm very justified in having and being able to show that or in being able to use that. Right. Well, it is. I mean, the whole point is to be able to channel it and use it in a productive way. Right. Like Mm -hmm. you were saying. So I wanted to talk really quickly before we, before we wrap up here is uh, in Mars and past life. Mm -hmm. So like we talked about Mars and anger Mars, uh, Mars was the God of war. Right. And so the planet Mars holds these aspects. And when I, there was a paragraph here in this evolutionary astrology glossary that I thought was really interesting. And, um, I want to quote this too, because I always feel a little bit, um, I'm a little curious about regression work and past lives. I've done a lot for myself. I've been regressed. I've had past life work done. And I'm, I'm still, you know, I don't know that it means that I actually lived in another time period, or if it means that I, you know, we have these multidimensional souls and Mm -hmm. there's aspects of yourself that have lived in different time periods or have, have 
are that time isn't really linear in the multiverse and so we're kind of able to pop in and out who knows right mm-hmm. then we get, nobody's going to we, we don't know right <laughs> yeah. so anyway <clears throat> but i think it's fascinating to talk about and to read about yes. so so the planet mars holds these aspects in regression work and what i mean by that is past life regression so the story of humanity right over the last 4000 years really or more has been one of war right? We're, we're constantly fighting, right? Mm -hmm. So this author says, in my view, we're all working through the collective wounds of war. It seems to me that warriors go through a long karmic history with war with a few distinct phases that can play out through a series of lifetimes. A turning point lifetime seems to be one of disillusionment where the warrior or soldier sees into the stupidity of the repeated killing. From that point onward, it seems the soul works to uplift or purify all of the ingrained warrior skills through several lifetimes, essentially setting the person on a path of becoming a spiritual warrior rather than a physical warrior. Mm. So I thought that was interesting. Um, She said it also may be useful to consider that there is an entire soul type that correlates with the navel chakra, which is our third chakra, right? Souls who in essence reflect the nature of this chakra, which is uh, Pluto Mars or the third chakra is our solar plexus. It's mm-hmm. our life's purpose. It's, you know, a lot of us that have stomach issues know that <laughs> this is where we house our fear. It's where we house our purpose. So spiritualization of these souls would naturally embrace paths that allow them to harness and spiritualize the physical edge that is intrinsic to their nature and soul structure. So then, then she references, I thought this was really fascinating. I thought I got to share this with our listeners because she references, she's like, see chapter six in autobiography of a yogi about the tiger swami. So mm-hmm. I have, I have this book, right? And I had just got it out two weeks ago to take with me to Mexico because I had started it maybe three years ago and I never finished it. And, and of course I take it to Mexico. I don't open it. I read about the freaking middle ages. I'm not reading about <laughs> Yogananda. And so I go to open up my book today looking for the tiger swami and i was on that chapter i was like no way i thought that was crazy oh, that wow. i had, was literally on the tiger swami so she talks the story do you remember the story yes so it was about this guy who fought tigers and he, he was he was like you know using his yogi powers and his physical strength to kind of manipulate and control tigers and his father was like you better watch out because someone had a dream that your luck was going to run out and you were going to get really sick. And he was like, no way. So then he goes to a neighboring village and I guess, you know, word of mouth spreads. And it was like this, you know, the game of telephone happened and he was suddenly this like, you know, manly man who could fight this tiger. And so the prince of that town or the, whoever the, the Raj of the town was basically like, okay, if you you have to fight my Bengal tiger, and if you can, if you can, you know, charm him, then I'll give you money and your freedom, but you have to be able to like leave without me attending to your wounds or the tiger's going to kill you. So the guy takes a tiger and basically starves it for a week and then throws him in there and they have this kind of showdown and he gets his hand bit, he loses some blood and he, he charms the tiger then the tiger bites him and then he leaves, but he, he was able to walk out of there. So he said, I did it. But then he ended up getting this blood poisoning and then he was sick for, and, and he left and everyone, you know, showered him with money 
you know, because he, he charmed the tiger. He had this amazing, uh, reputation. And what ended up happening was he realized in the moment when he got all the money that it was like all of the, he kind of realized what he was doing to the animals and how it wasn't, it was kind of empty and meaningless. And so he goes back to his father and he's like, I have to find my teacher. And I, because now I'm ready to learn what the teacher has to tell me. He like, he realized that the guy who was coming to him saying, you need to, there's going to be an illness. You're going to get sick. This is what's going to happen. Was calling him on his spiritual journey mm-hmm. rather than this physical, you know, oppressive, oppressing the tiger. And, I, you know, I'm sure there's meanings for the, what the tiger, you know, the tiger is one of those big predators and kind of majestic mm-hmm. noble. So there, you know, something about overcoming a tiger, there's symbolic, there's something symbolic in that too. But so he, he went and found the old man who had that premonition and he became his teacher. So <laughs> there's our full circle moment where we were talking about lineage and, <laughs> and, um, embarking on the spiritual path. So do you want to talk really quick about mythology before we wrap yeah, up? Yeah. So the myth, so in Greek mythology, the Ares is the ram symbol of Ares. It comes from the story of the flying ram that rescued a guy named Phrixus. And he sacrificed the ram to Poseidon, like in thanks, and saved the skin. And the skin of this ram became the golden fleece that the hero Jason and the Argonauts went on a quest to find. And so this golden fleece was guarded by bulls and a dragon in a garden that was owned by Ares, god of war, which is not the same thing as Ares the sign, but... But Ares eventually became Mars. Ares is Mars. Like, yeah, in Roman Mars, Ares is the Greek counterpart. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting that um, that I had never heard where the golden fleece originated from but it was this flying ram which i thought it was kind of sad that the rescuer ram got sacrificed because he was so thankful that he just had to kill him but well i feel like all those greek myths are i'm i always give a big side eye to a lot of the greek myths right it's like this is (laughs) this is rough yes and with that i would say uh we like to leave you guys with a little challenge yeah so think about for this month, because we're in the Aries month, the concept of becoming and what is your relationship to the concept of becoming and take a look at that as the Aries trait and how it interacts with the, with your chart and with the other, some, you know, other symbols that are are coming through this year. How does that mean in, and, and what is, what is kind of the dominant calling that you're feeling in the sense of becoming? Is it in regards to self and spirituality? Is it career that's calling you? Is it friendships? Is it experiences? Is it family? You know, and, and take a look and putting some energy into that. Well said. And we'll see you guys next week. Before we part, we'd like to say thanks for listening, and we hope you'll connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We would love to hear from you and appreciate all feedback, shares, and likes. To learn more and subscribe to our newsletter, visit intentionists.com. And no matter where you are or what you're creating, we send you love and invite you to breathe and begin. See you next week.